Amen, indeed. How he loves us. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, open with me to John chapter 13. Uh, if you've got uh, uh, the bulletin, you can find the passage for this morning printed in your bulletin. If you uh, would like to, you can use the blue pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 900 of that Bible in front of you. Last week, I noted that as we come to the end of John chapter 12, that brought us to the close of the public ministry of Jesus as John records it for us. The signs and the teaching that we have enjoyed throughout the course of this book come to a conclusion at that point. And now for the rest of the book, his ministry becomes much more focused, of course, on his disciples and in preparing them for what was about to happen in his life. We, uh, we have seen back in chapter 12, we'll see it again in the opening verse of our section this morning, that Jesus recognizes that the time is at hand, that his hour has come, the hour for his departure. And in light of that, there is an urgency, a weightiness, an intensity that becomes apparent in the things that he's saying to communicating to the disciples over the course of the next couple of chapters. The section that I'm about to read to us is uh, very, I trust, familiar to you, if not the uh, actual section, actually knowing what took place in this section is familiar, hopefully, to all of us, culturally speaking. We're gonna spend two weeks on it, and in particular, the reason for that is I really wanna drill in on verse one of this passage this week. So John 13, this is the word of God. I'm gonna read for us this morning, verses one through 20. Hear the word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them clean with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who it was who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher. Lord, 
You are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not now speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that it, when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. What wondrous love is this. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the text that we have before us, for the theme that we have set before us today. I and I, as your preacher in this church, feel woefully inadequate for uh, bringing forth this word today. Lord, I pray that your power will be made manifest in weakness and that you would help me and then help all of us to hear your word, to be ministered to by your word, and to get a taste of this love. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The, uh, the English poet, uh, or I should say poets, Elizabeth Barrett Browning and Robert Browning are well known for the love sonnets that they wrote back and forth to one another. And the most familiar of those is one that you know well, how do I love thee? Let me count the waves. I have a book of their poetry that I periodically pull out and just enjoy the language of love that they describe there to one another. We love to write poetry about love. We love to write novels about love. We love to sing songs about love. And if, uh, if Elizabeth will allow us to do this to her poetry this morning, I want to adjust what, uh, what she wrote in that sonnet just a bit by asking today, how does Jesus love us? And then responding to it by saying, let's, let's enjoy counting the ways together. Let's just enjoy this morning counting up the way the lover of our soul loves us this morning. That is the task that is before us, or uh, if, as I did in the title of this, you want to put it in, uh, in the title of the old folk song, the, the, the question is, what wondrous love is this? What do, what's being described here for us in this passage? That, that, God loves his children is rather clearly stated in Scripture. That Jesus loves his disciples is also clear. We sing together. We heard played for us just a moment ago 
a, a medley of songs that speak of the love of God for us, including Jesus Loves Me. But in a world where we have come to employ the term, the word love, in all sorts of contexts, we talk about all number of things that we love, well, today we want to ask specifically regarding the love of Jesus Christ, what kind of love is it? How does he love us? I, in, the, uh, in the opening line of Psalm 45, which is a royal wedding psalm, the psalmist writes, uh, a, a goodly theme is mine, a pleasant theme is mine. And so for us this morning, a pleasant theme is ours for us to consider, and that is the love of Jesus Christ for us. Uh, verse 1, the one I said I want to highlight this morning, sets the stage for us, not only for the foot washing, that is obviously the section that I just read for us and immediately follows uh, verse 1, but it really sets the stage for this entire portion of the book. It's the verse that helps you to understand 13 and everything following it all that Jesus is about to say, all that Jesus is about to do, 13 sets the stage for the conclusion of the Gospel of John. The time is set for us. It is the Passover, and this hour has come. In chapter 12, he called it the hour of his glory. Here in chapter 13, in verse 1, he talks about it as the hour of his departure, from this earth and his return to his heavenly Father. That hour is now upon him. This time of departure, this time of conclusion is now upon him. And all of us know, I trust, from our personal experience, and some of us have perhaps experienced this uh, more than others, depending on how long we've lived and what our lives have been like, but all of us know that when a time of departure is in front of us, the things intensify. Whether that departure is actually a departure from this life, if death is the thing that is in front of us, or if that departure is simply someone who is leaving, or you being someone who is leaving for an extended amount of times, there may be a number of things that you would like to say in that context, a number of even details that you're trying to work out. If you're taking someone to the airport that you love and you know they're going away for a while, you know, A, you're going to ask them last questions. Do you have your tickets? Do you have your passport? Do you have all the things that you're going to need? But, but, the very last thing that you want to say to them that you want to communicate to them, that they want to hear from you, that you want to hear from them is this, I love you. I'll miss you, and I want you to go knowing that I love you. And Jesus is no exception to that. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Now, this section, this discourse section now of John, is going to come to its conclusion in the prayer that is recorded for us in John chapter 17. In John chapter 18, Jesus will be arrested, and this time of ministry to the disciples before his death will come to its conclusion. But the last verse, the last prayer that he makes in John chapter 17, verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Why? 
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus wants to say, before I depart, there are a lot of things that are going to happen. You have to know I love you. You have to know that. Before you know anything else, you've got to know this. There are other things to know. That is the one that undergirds everything else. So, what kind of love? What wondrous love is it? Let us count the ways this morning. And I'm going to give you a count. We're going to work through it. And I'm going to do my best to, to follow the order that comes in our text this morning. First, what kind of love is it? The love with which Jesus loves us is a covenantal love. It is the feast of Passover. And that's not John just trying to give us a time marker and say, oh, by the way, it was this time of the year when Jesus was saying these things. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence that it's Passover. It is the meal that celebrates God's covenant with Israel and his redemption of Israel out of Egypt in accordance with the covenant that he made with them. He redeemed them because of this covenant. And we ask the question, why? Why did he make the covenant with them? Why did he redeem them? Why did he deliver them? Was there some reason? And the answer that the Bible gives to us, why did he do all those things, is because he loved them. And the Bible, God, won't let us go beyond that. What we'd like to do is to say, why did you love them? But it won't let us go any farther. I love them because I set my love upon them. That's why I love them. Deuteronomy chapter 7, I have to read this for us, this covenantal love. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, right? The question then comes, okay, well, it wasn't because we were numerous that you set your love on us, so why then did you set your love on us? Next, uh, next verse, verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. You can't go behind it. There's nothing to get behind the fact that God sets his love. What kind of love does Jesus love you with? A covenantal love because he set it upon you. And I can't give you one answer beneath that, apart from he loves you because he loves you. And a covenant, to say it's a covenantal love, a, a covenant is a bond, a covenant is a seal, a, a, a covenant is a pledge. It's a commitment. In other words, the love that Jesus has for us is not simply a love that is a matter of convenience in some particular way. It's not just a, hey, let's, let's live together and see how it goes kind of love that he has for us, but a love that is defined, a love that is witnessed by him, a love to which Jesus, in freedom, pledges himself as the surety 
as the guarantee of that love. I love you. I'm promising you that I love you. I'm defining that love, and I'm providing myself as the guarantee of the love with which I have loved you. It's Passover. It's the meal of the Passover. And it's going to be the Lord's Supper. And it's going to be the institution of the new covenant upon the people of God that, if you will, double seals. Double seals the love of God that is being outpoured upon us. And so we behold, in the very first place, just by saying it's Passover, the covenantal love of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Second, it is a knowledgeable love. Human love oftentimes, always, lacks complete knowledge. We might discover something about someone we have professed to love that might change that love. We might do something different. They might do something unexpected, something we didn't know, something that we didn't foresee. We don't know everything about a person when we declare our love for them. Jesus loves with full and complete knowledge of who we are. And I, I, I hope you'll see the importance of that kind of thing as we work our way just through this briefly. The last verse of this chapter, the last verse of this chapter, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Did that catch Jesus unaware? Did he declare his love for Peter and then, oh man, within a, just, just a few hours, this guy has denied me, and I've already said I loved him. Did he catch him? Was that unexpected to Jesus? Jesus' point is to say, I'm declaring love for you, and I know who you are. I not only know who you are, I know what you're going to do. And I know how ugly that's going to be. And I'm declaring I love you anyway. When Jesus... And, and, and look at it in the passage itself, so I'm not just making up. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, he knew it. He knew all that he was about to face. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. Verse 11, for he knew who it was who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Not even our sin. Your sin. Your sin can't catch Jesus by surprise. You won't do something that offends him in a way that he didn't see it coming. He knows it. His love is full of knowledge for us. His love is complete in knowledge. He knows what it will cost him to love you. Third, the love of Jesus is a particular love. It is a specific love. It's not just a general love. It's not just some kind of 
random scattering of love out into the world, a general love of people. We're not talking about here the fact that Jesus was a people person, that he loved people in general, or that he was a loving person. He loved particularly, having loved his own. His own. That can be, uh, in various contexts, a term of endearment, a term of preciousness, my own. I hope you've come to have this etched on some part of your heart. What's your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own. I'm not my own. But I'm not ownerless. I'm his own. I'm his own. I'm this person right here. Having loved his own, I'm one of his own. He has created belonging, and you belong. You personally belong to him. Think of the, the it, there are at least 12 getting this washing, right? The 12 are getting this foot washing here. And, and lest we think, well, he, he just loves the group. No, there's particularity in it. There's particularity. Simon, Simon Peter, Simon Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me, no, no, no share in me. You're, you're not part of my family. You, you see, Jesus is inviting not only Simon Peter, but we want to use the individual example here for a moment. Jesus is inviting Simon Peter to be a part of something. If I don't wash you, you're not a part. You don't have a share. What, what's, he, what's he inviting him to be a part of? He's inviting him to be a part of the love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Peter, I'm inviting you to belong to something. I've loved my own, and you are one of my own. The particular love of Jesus brings us into belonging. It brings us into participation in him and with him and with one another, it brings us into, if you want to use the theological term with it, union with Christ. Union with Christ. To put it in the words from a chapter or two back, and to unite this together, I know, knowledgeable love, I know my sheep. They're my sheep. They're not somebody else's sheep. They're my sheep who belong to my fold. They're mine. Jesus loved his own. Fourth, the love of Jesus is complete. It holds nothing back. It holds nothing in reserve. It's not a skimpy love. It's not a little modicum of love. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the full extent. He loved them to the uttermost. Now, surely this word, in addition to that, can have the idea of a, a temporal aspect to it. He's coming to the end of his earthly time. And, and so surely it can have that aspect. He loved them all the way through 
to the, the, the darkest of hours of things, but it's more than that, more than temporal as well. It describes his love. His love for you is inexhaustible. It, it doesn't have a bottom. There's, there's no chance that Jesus ever gets sick and tired of loving you. It never happens. He never gets bored with you. He never goes, I'm a little bit bored with this person. I'm going to look for somebody else to love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. It never ends. Herman Ritterboss puts it well. It was love to the last breath. And love in its highest intensity, it is love to the limit. So the love of Jesus for you is covenantal, knowledgeable. It's particular. It's complete. Fifth, the love of Jesus for you is a strong love. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. All things are in his hands. Love in this world has enemies. There's hatred of love. And there's enemies within us in this world. This passage isn't written by John taking place in some English garden, not in a French garden where there's Monet or Renoir or one of the Impressionists painting it, not a Thomas Kincaid painting. That's not the setting that's going on here. There's nothing pretty in this section right here. Death is what's hanging in the air right now. There's enemies about in us, there's jealousy, and there's hatred, and there's envy, and there's lust, and there's fear, and there are temptations, and all of those assault love. And in this passage, as we read it and look through it, we see that in particular, Satan is called out for his activities that are going on here. The devil is at work right here. This, is, this in one sense, is also the devil's hour, Jesus will say later in John. This is your hour and the hour of darkness. This is in one sense when he's gathered up all of his power and he's trying to crush love. He's trying to say no to this and he's put it into the mind, into the heart of the betrayer to already be about his business. Love needs a strong defender and in Jesus we have it. Jesus doesn't love from a lack of love. Jesus doesn't love you because he needs somebody to love. Jesus doesn't love you in some kind of a codependent kind of way. Instead, the Father puts all things in his hands, and from strength of having all things in his hands, then he loves you. He needs nothing, and he puts his love out upon us. Fear not. His love for you is strong. Your shepherd is strong. 
And when threats come upon you, your shepherd has a rod and a staff that will protect you. The king of love your shepherd is, and no one will snatch you out of his hand. No one snatches you out of the hand of Jesus because no one has a grip stronger than the hand of Jesus to hold you in that love. Oh, love that will not let me go. I'll shake and I'll squirm and I'll twist like an eel. Oh, love that will not let me go. Sixth, the love of Jesus is humble. It is a self-abasing love. From that amazing description of strength that we just read in chapter th- in verse 3, Jesus takes it off, takes off his outer garments, ties the towel around him, gets the basin, and begins to wash the feet. He took the position of the slave, of the servant. He sought the lowest possible place for you. In his love, and this is what verse 3 said, in his love, he who is above all, The Father put everything into his hands. He is above all. The earth is his footstool. He spoke it into existence. And now the incarnate man is about to rise above all. The Father's putting it all into his hands. The one who is above all sought a place beneath you to show you the depth of his love. From from the perspective of the Lord at your feet, we, we see not only the height of his love, but we see the depth of it. We, we see that he gets lower than you. He gets into the pit. He gets into the place down here beneath you. Wherever you are, he's beneath that when he's washing feet. His is a humble love. He came down from earth to heaven, who is God and Lord of all. In humility, he considered others more important than himself. He looked not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And that leads us to our seventh point. The love of Jesus is an outward love. Uh, we've probably all experienced relationships with people where their love for perhaps other people, perhaps other things, perhaps other hobbies, their, their love actually serves not to invite others in but keeps others out and keeps others away, and, and their love kind of isolates them from other people, from loving other people, and it closes them off. But instead here, the particular love of Jesus the particular love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that particular love sends Jesus forth. It brings Jesus down. It sends him out of heaven and into this world. It is an outward love. And as will become clear in the rest of this chapter, 
Jesus' point in washing the disciples' feet was not so that the disciples could say for the rest of their lives, hey, I'm one of the 12 who Jesus, you know, Jesus washed my feet. That kind of puts me up somewhere. The, the point that Jesus is making is, listen, as I've done this for you, now you go out and do this for other people as well. His love doesn't curve in upon itself. Instead, his love takes that and shoots it out for the very ones whose feet has been washed. He sends them out as fellow foot washers. He, he sends them out with the love of Christ dripping from them from head to toe. Go out and love as I have loved you. So the love of Jesus for you is covenantal, it's knowledgeable, it's particular, it's complete, it's strong, it's humble, it's outward. Eighth, his love for you is a cleansing love. Jesus is obviously doing a physical act here, right? He's obviously washing feet, but also equally clearly, equally obviously, is that this is full of symbolic meaning. The holy, holy God cannot love a filthy sinner as is. Cleansing is needed. Cleansing is required. And we know this tension deep in the bottom of our hearts and souls is not one of the deepest questions that you ask in your soul. How can Jesus love me? when I am so covered with the filth of my sin. And it's not a question that we ask just one time and then that question goes away to be replaced by something else. It's the one that comes back to us again and again. How can God, how can Jesus love me when I'm so aware of this sin. It's the thing that gnaws at us. And in this passage, he teaches us, yes, your dirt, your filth, mine is real. My sin is real. I don't pass my own smell test, let alone God's smell test of me. I smell like filth. And Jesus is able and willing to wash. And if he doesn't wash us, we have no part in him. And of course, in the symbolism of this, the washing that we need is ultimately not the washing of water. We need the washing of the blood of Christ. And when that takes place, we read, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her with water by the uh, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless and without blemish if you are here today and you feel like the filth, and the dirt is too ground in. If you go, if you were a kid and you used to go barefoot in the summer, you know, you just couldn't get your feet clean. 
There's just stuff that gets in the crevices and you can't get it out. If you garden, you can't, you can't get the dirt out of your crevices of your fingers and under your nails, no matter how hard you scrub at it. If you feel like, oh, you don't know. You don't know my sin. You don't know how deeply ground in the filth is in my life. I say to you, the love of Jesus is knowledgeable. And it's able to cleanse, and he is willing to cleanse. Can you picture the Savior girded with a towel, with a basin in his hand, who says, let me take care of that for you. Of course you can't get it out. Of course you can't. I can cleanse that. David, in what we read earlier, prayed. And he beseeched the Lord, Lord, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Whom of us hasn't prayed exactly that? Which person here hasn't felt that? And just cried out, God, wash me, please, cleanse me from this. And Jesus says, I got got water in a towel. Let me see your dirty feet. It's a purifying love, a sanctifying love. It is a cleansing love, ninth and last. The love of Jesus for you is a love expressed. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed to say, I love them. It's not a secret. He wanted his disciples to know it, and so he washed their feet, and he wants you to know it. Now, the time of the departure has come and now gone. Jesus isn't here to wash your feet, but he wants you to know it, to know of his love. And so, to us, he has given his word. He has given his spirit He has given to us the church, the fellowship of the saints who are around you, who sing with you, next to you, about the love of God that is shown in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's given to you the ministry of the Word. He's given to you the oracles and ordinances. He's given to you baptism. He's given to you the Lord's Supper to say to you, I love you. I love you. Personally, you have to know that I love you. He doesn't want you guessing or wondering, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. That's not Jesus' desire for you. He's not trying to keep it a secret. He's not trying to keep you in suspense. He loves his own. He's not reluctant to say it. He's not reluctant to show it. He's getting ready to depart out of this world, and he wants to say to these men, to this church, I love you. Count the ways. Well, we counted nine this morning. 
nine ways that God loves us, and the list is longer still. For Paul, of course, tells us, if you looked at the verse on the front of your bulletin from Ephesians 3, that when you're speaking of the love of Christ, you're trying to comprehend that which surpasses knowledge. So how long is the list? I don't know. I don't know how long the list is. I suppose we could just keep going and describe the love of Christ. But here's the reality. Now we know in part. Now we know in part. Now we know a lot. Now we know in part that we shall know fully as we have been fully known. In the meantime, listen to this and let Jesus speak to your soul. Don't turn to it. Just listen to it. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, pause there for a moment, how much did the Father love Jesus? Do a little reflecting on that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now here's the command from your Lord. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Lord God, we would seek many other things. We would be distracted by many other things. We would say, but there are, Lord, other things to do. And yea and amen, that may be true. But there's nothing more important than for us to hear, not that we love you, but that you love us and sent your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Sent your Son to wash us, cleanse us thoroughly, so that we could be loved as you, Father, love your Son. Thank you. Help us to abide. In his name we pray. Amen.